everybody. All righty then, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. You're going to fade into the background. I'm going to fade into the foreground. I'm your host, Andreas Georges, and you're listening to the Red Bulletin Podcast, where we're talking to top performers in the worlds of adventure, sports, culture, and music. We're trying to understand the hurdles that they had to overcome and, and the secrets that, that made them better. Today, we've got someone on the podcast who can only be described as, uh, well, he has been described, actually, as the evil Knievel uh, of mountain biking. His name is Cam Zink. It rolls off the tongue quite nicely, actually, Cam Zink. He was coming up at a time when sport, uh, the sport was just starting to get money uh, and sponsorships coming into it. Uh, and, uh, you know, mountain biking was really taking flight, and no one really went bigger than Cam uh, he set the world record for a dirt-to-dirt backflip on a mountain bike. That's in the Guinness Book of World Records, so you know it's legit and it's official. He, of course, would say that he just has the record for a backflip on a bike, period. Screw that dirt-to-dirt stuff. He's um, become the poster child for setting the bar higher and higher. And, of course, the flip side of that are the enormous risks he's t- taken. And I think he's... Also had his luck in avoiding serious injuries, uh, most notably at the pinnacle of downhill mountain biking insanity, which is Red Bull Rampage, which you can actually watch on Red Bull TV on October 14th. Uh, Let me just preface this a little bit. Red Bull Rampage takes place in cliffs in the Utah desert, and the competitors actually build their own lines down these cliff faces with with like shovels and pickaxes like they're miners or something. And then they, they take these incredible angles down them and throw themselves off jumps uh, and do backflips and all kinds of insane things. And, and it was on one of these jumps that uh, Cam had a pretty gruesome crash. And if you're driving, I'd say, why don't you pull over and YouTube that right now? And why don't, why don't you make sure that you haven't had anything to eat ahead of time, too, because it's actually pretty intense stuff. Um, now he's the father of a little girl. And uh, he and I spoke about the trade-off between risk and reward, career longevity, and balancing pushing the limits with his responsibility as a family man. I should also add this podcast was recorded at an ungodly hour of the morning on a weekend. Uh, So shout out to First Name James, the first name in podcasting, our engineer, and JK, it's Jess, our associate producer, for uh, their work in in making all this possible. All right, let's uh, start the show. Do you remember when you hit your first jump? Probably, uh, I don't remember the first because, you know, there's like a curb, you know, you jump off a curb and then you jump off like a single and then like what's, it's hard to define like what your was your first jump, like a tabletop or the first double, you know, but yeah. I remember some of my first jumps at the schoolyard of my elementary school and uh, pretty incredible feeling like jumping over an actual double that's like you know, pretty much at least a bike length or whatever. Right. So, I mean, that would kind of be my first jump, I guess. And uh, So butterflies and kind oh, of yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Adrenaline, whole... endorphins, all that. Yeah, Kyle Strait and I uh, were talking about this not long ago. Another great mountain biker. Absolutely. Say. Yeah. Child proud prodigy. <laughs> really? Is he? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was he was he was making money at 13 years old to to do jumps and stuff. And Was that just the time or was it? Yeah, I think it's taken taken opportunity out of uh, a contest that he went. He was, we were racers, and then, and then he, you know, there was his jump comp, and then he did like a heel clicker and stuff when he was thirteen, and then Maxis started sending him checks. Like, yeah, it's it pretty insane. Yeah. So he was he was one of the biggest mountain bikers in the world at sixteen, seventeen years old. Nice. Uh, but we were talking about how uh, you get that feeling as a kid, and you you just keep striving for that feeling 
over and over and over until you know now to get that feeling you have to do 100 foot jumps right so it's right. it's it's still striving for that feeling you got as a kid and it's just a lot more dangerous and a lot harder to get that feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You keep raising the stakes for yourself. Yeah. Was mountain biking a good distraction for um I mean what was what was life in Carson City like? Is that I mean what what's I don't know, what's what's high school like? Is it is it kind of archetypal American jock versus geeks kind of a scenario or is it 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 kind of was. I mean, it's it's a pretty typical high school, one high school in the town, and it's a town of What was your mascot? Uh, senator, we're oh. yeah, like we're this angry senator. So I don't think any of the kids from my <laughs> we're gonna school pass these bills, damn it. Yeah, yeah, I don't think anyone from our school grew up to be a politician. No, but. that's great. I love that idea. <laughs> but it's uh, twenty seven hundred kids or something when I went there. I'm sure it's bigger now, but a town of like fifty, sixty thousand people in one high school. So it's kind of cool that you knew everyone. Um, and your your whole town is just scrunched together. I loved high school for the fact that every girl in your in your whole town was in the same place at the same day. You know, right, right. Um, but yeah, it's pretty increased t- your chances <laughs> for sure. For sure, it's pretty pretty typical high school though. And was there like a was there like a kind of I don't know what could be described as probably nowadays action sports scene? Was it? Uh, you know, were, were there were there people? Was it kind of traditional sports, or did you feel like you had? You had like this culture outside that really like vibed with what you, what you were into. I think it was a unique time for all action sports, and uh, my school's no different than that. You know, there. So was, was it? We're talking about like the early nineties, late. I, 90s. I graduated in 04. Okay. So, uh, oh yikes! Okay. Yeah. So the. <laughs> the uh, I was way off. <laughs> the, I was way off. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So the. There was there was the jocks, you know, the stereotypical Letterman dudes, but they weren't. Uh, it wasn't like they ruled the whole school, but they're, you know, some. I was, you know, a fairly popular guy that just rode bikes and like hung out with some skateboarders, and they were fairly, you know, it was pretty diverse. It wasn't like just the only cool people were were playing football, you know. Uh, but there were some motocross riders, and then it's kind of funny that the town wasn't really. No, there were almost zero action sports like pros or anything. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of motocross riders moved in for freestyle moto, and there was, it was like as big of a scene for a while as Southern California was. Like there was Dustin Miller and Mike Mason and Adam Jones and Derek Berlew and Brian Foster and all these. It was like this huge scene. Uh, Drake McElroy, who is mm-hmm. uh, who you know big involved with Red Bull as well, yeah, absolutely. And it was like this giant giant scene for freestyle moto for a while, and now everyone's kind of moved on, and uh, you know there's still a little bit of it, but. Uh, that, as far as mountain biking and other sports, not as much, but it just it just you know it's a good place for no matter what you want to do. And that's interesting. You mentioned that the time as well um, was action sports at that time. Was it kind of possible to imagine a career in it, or kind of? I think there was it was a perfect time. There was just a glimpse. There wasn't uh, there. There's not this full fledged like it is now. Like it's almost it's it's so saturated now. It's it's crazy, but. And a little bit earlier, it'd be like you're going out on a limb and your people think you're stupid if you wanted to try to make a career at this. But when I grew up, it was like just enough hope, you know, like you're not you're not scrutinized that much, just a little bit to make you feel rebellious. But not, a, you know, not like you feel like you're throwing your life away. You feel like there's some hope. So pretty, pretty unique time. I feel like it was. It was it was a it was a really really cool time to be involved in, especially for my sport because it didn't really exist. Like free free ride mountain bike, and there was this sideshow Bob event called Rampage back then, and there was no slope styles. And uh, by the time I was old enough and had enough skill 
there was the first slopestyle contest. So it was right. just a remarkable time, and it just was the right place at the right time because I was a racer, and then one, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's this event that, that encompasses everything that I do, like in my free time, you know, jumping off stairs and stuff and, and all this random stuff, and uh, there's an actual event for it called slopestyle. So it's pretty did, pretty remarkable Did you time. get more out of um, jumping off stairs and, and that sort of a, that angle or that side of, of mountain biking than you did from the racing? Uh, personally? yeah. Like yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah. did. I mean, it it kind of it kind of fueled my fire, but I didn't really take it seriously because there was nothing really to look forward to. Right. And then Aaron Chase, uh, he was he was a big leader in that. Even though he does more of the street riding stuff than I, like I'm more of like big mountain and this, you know, pretty diverse. But the fact that he was a racer and he was doing something else like extracurricular riding. Uh, just for fun, but then made more of a career out of that instead right. of like he wasn't at the top of the race results, but he was more sponsored and, and better paid than most of the people that he was racing against yeah. because of this other extracurricular stuff and getting coverage. And uh, yeah, it's kind of how supportive were your parents when you were like, I, w- I want to go down this path. It's funny, like that just came to mind because I was thinking about Aaron Chase, and there was this this contest, a skate park contest in in New Hampshire when we were at a race in Vermont. We we're racing nationals, and I was like, "Please let me go to this contest." And like it was just looking back, it was a skate park contest. But I I saw this little glimpse of hope of like this new sport, and even though it was a, it was on wood and we're not riding mountain bikes, it it was just the beginning of getting a little coverage to move on to whatever was to come, which we didn't even know yet. And it was to go stay with Aaron Chase and ride this uh, Rye Airfield skate park. And and they were super reluctant, um, but let me go, and that was kind of the beginning. And I learned backflips and was doing those in front of people, and that was kind of the beginning of, of a transition. Hang on, hang on. You learned backflips. <laughs> how, do, how do you learn backflips? The uh, foam pits, you know. They're, uh, uh, okay. It's pretty rare that I get to... I get it. I mean, that was actually that was the first time I really started doing backflips, but I had just learned them before. Um, down here, I got to go on a trip uh, with Neil Sanders for the superheroes movies, and super kooky looking back. But uh, that was my window. That was my way to to leave Carson City and get to go to an actual foam pit and did it three times into the foam pit. And then and did I, you did you try it before the foam pit era in your life, or was no, it no? no okay, no, right, yeah, yeah. What? How? How? Um, by the way, what years? What years were are we talking about here? That's when I was like fifteen, I think. So, so was that two thousand one, two thousand two, something like that. Yeah, yeah, somewhere yeah. around that. Yeah, yeah. And you, and and I mean, at that point, you were you were just part of this network of mountain bike riders or or riders that that opened up like this area of contests or this region of contests or how did that kind of yeah yeah i mean it was it's it's pretty cool to be in just in the right place at the right time but uh there was there was these a couple key individuals that you look at and you're you're just i don't know they're they had they had wide eyes and big aspirations or or just maybe it was like what other people scrutinized and thought was kind of kooky but they uh yeah everyone everyone helped you know make this new sport without even realizing it, i believe but uh yeah it's pretty cool time so there's like a real sense of community rather than competition for sure i mean there was being at the start of the original rampages and and slope style contest crankworks and all these ones they've never seen such a high sense of camaraderie and people genuinely stoked for everyone to land their run not like you know best man's gonna win no matter what, want everyone to be safe. Go get like, like, crush it. You right. know, 
it's not it's not like yeah yeah do good just so i have good karma and i'm not gonna crash like everyone's genuinely so stoked for everyone else to land their run because we're all great friends and it's kind of a shame that's kind of uh what uh, leaves me not as fulfilled at each contest now, you know, or, or slope styles, I guess, because there, maybe there's just so many new kids and there's so many different crowds and, and little cliques now, but the original contests were like a core group of friends that were like genuinely stoked to just be a part of it. Right, right. And, and competing at the highest level as well on top of that. And where did the, for you, you know, your, your, I mean, we'll get into your, your exploits on a mountain bike in a bit, but, um, you know, you're definitely known as a guy who pushed the boundaries of the sport, pushed the, uh, the length of jumps, you know, what you do in your jumps, that sort of a thing. Um, where, where did that, did you feel already in that group, in that community that, that you were trying to do something different? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, my it's getting where you fit in my my first memories of contests were like what am i going to do to stand out you know like kind of like anyone but mine was like i could jump off of that you know it's this much higher than everyone else or i could jump this jump this jump from here to there or i could flip the biggest jump and it always boiled down to me either flipping the biggest jump or spinning the biggest drop on the course and then everyone's like oh zink will spin it first and then you know uh it's kind of uh you just, you just find yourself like you find you seek out opportunities and then and then you end up just realizing what makes you tick what your strong suits are and uh just kind of sticking with it was there was there i mean i imagine there's a lot of trial and error as well um because there's insane risk with i mean the, the way you're talking about it now it just sounds like yeah i'll spin off of that you know 80 foot jump or whatever <laughs> you know or or like i'll pop a eight uh 78 foot uh backflip um but is the risk that's associated with that um how much did you think about that at the beginning because i feel like when you're younger you're just kind of like oh this is how it is and let me just push it but you know anytime you're taking like risks like that that's got to be insane right I mean, yeah absolutely i mean the the juice versus <laughs> the juice versus squeeze is what i usually say it's it's uh I don't know. You when you're, you're you hit the the nail on the head when you say like when you're younger it just it overrides it like there's this this sense of sense of you could get injured but also you don't really think about death or dismemberment you kind of just think about injury like oh I could I could get hurt it's worth it. I'll you know I'll I, you you more think about the timeline of how long it's going to take to recover before the next contest not like could this really put me out forever. Right. You know you I I only thought about, you know, I, I mean, but this is before knee surgeries even. Like, I didn't even think about, like, oh, I could be out for six months. It's like, oh, six to eight weeks, you know, whatever. Six to eight it, weeks was it's, that it's magic a, window. Yeah, because that's a bone or whatever. But but then I realized real quick, five years in a row in knee surgeries, that you could be out for six months the whole winter, and then and then you're off your bike, and then you'd feel crappy on the bike for another couple months after that. So when you're younger it's not just being young and dumb it's just having high aspirations and and being on the come up i mean it's it's hustling hard as you would in any career you just sure. you're just you're just pushing hard and taking chances and it's like uh, it's like gambling it's like the stock market and it's like and anything you know people people that are investing are usually riskier when they're younger than older because you have longer timeline to recover and it's the same thing with bike riding it's just, but then you do uh, you do take it does take a toll on you uh, and you have to you get better. You get better right. at bike riding. You get better at assessing risk. Get better at picking and choosing your battles. Uh, but I, I think Jeff Emig was talking about motocross riders and how they have the worst memory, and that could go along with all action sports athletes. That you got to just forget your last crash and forget your last mistake, and you just move forward and keep pushing, pushing. So 
but it, it definitely becomes harder and harder the older you get. Yeah, I can imagine. And and how much of that is this this need to you know kind of maintain? I mean, you you talked about your father being an entrepreneur. How much is this tied to brand? Zinc, which is a guy known to push limits. Like, how much do you does that factor in your consideration when you're taking these risks? I don't know. It's it it's not a probably more now than before, right? Kind kind of. It's your motivations change, and uh, you just it's kind of egotistical to think about the brand, but it 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 is a business at the end of the day. And you are you know you you are pushing yourself, and self promotion is usually fairly shameless. But that's that's. I am. I am essentially a brand, you know, and it's hard to come to grips with that. And when you're younger, it's like, I'm just going to do this just because I love to do it. But now you're like, well, I need, I could get coverage out of this and I need to feed my family. And I need, you know, um, all the while, if you try to look back on, on what you are doing, you're like, oh, and I get to do what I'm doing, what I, you know, I'm doing what I love. So it's a, it's a weird, touchy subject of trying to not feel like an egomaniac, but also pushing your own brand. Um, it's, it's always, it's a, it's a tough thing that I've, it's, it's always been one of the hardest things for me about being a professional writer. But, uh, so I, I mean, at the end of the day, try to just push as hard as I can and focus on the actual writing and what would result in a better brand or personal brand or career and, and just focus on, on the ingredients, you know, right. that you're going to, that the end goal is to have, you know, a longer standing name, I guess. Sure. Um, you brought up Rampage a couple of times, um, which, I, I think it's better if you describe Red Bull Rampage than if I describe it, um, because I think it's truly, and then also a little bit why it's so unique. It's, man, it's, how do you describe it? It's, it's. So it's in the middle of the desert, right? It's Nevada? I no, it's, it's in Utah. It's Utah. in, it's in Virgin, okay. Utah. Everyone thinks, everyone, I mean, the funniest way to sum it up is people have probably already seen it. So like every time I get on a plane when I was younger, it'd be like sit next to an old lady, like, Oh, what do you do? You know, like, Oh, I ride mountain bikes. Like, Oh, those, those guys that are bouncing on their back wheels. And they always think of trials for some reason. Like why is trials sticking out in people's minds? Mm. But nowadays people are saying like, Oh, like you ever see those guys jumping off those cliffs in Moab or you ever see those guys jumping off a red, those big things. And I'm like, Oh, that's actually exactly what I do. But it's, you know, people always mistake it for Moab. Um, it's, Start at the top of the hill from a giant, um, ancient, you know, the land before time, ancient, you know, cliffs and in the middle of Utah. And then there's a start and a finish. And then you pick your line in the middle. You have 10 days to dig your own line before uh, before the actual contest. And, uh, you know, and what, what's freedom. The, what's the and freedom? Yeah. And what's the what's the terrain you're digging through? I mean, because just so listeners don't get the impression that this is like a soft mountain you're just kind of finding the right path down it it's it's almost cliff faces we're talking about here it feels like yeah it, it absolutely is cliff faces and i don't know the actual pitch you know yeah. if you were to factor it in but i mean it's got to be around 45 degrees the whole the whole way down and um you just pick uh pick the most the the line that best suits your riding the one that's going to win the one you can fit in the most tricks but also um, not use all your elevation before and then run into a ditch at the bottom and have to pedal out. It's kind uh, of it's kind of hard to describe, but if you were to just picture a giant eroded um, little mountain, you know, like yeah, yeah, it, it's a uh, just Google and, it and then <laughs> exactly. But so you're you're cut you're carving your own line down right, and you're spending ten days before kind of picking that. Um, you know, part of the strategy that goes into that is obviously maintaining as much speed as you can so you can hit these kicker jumps on which you do 
crazy things. You specifically, I'm looking at you, not just because <laughs> you're across the table from me, but, uh, you know, in, I believe that was in 20, was it in 2013 when you hit the, the jump and you did like a 78 foot, uh, backflip. Um, it, and it, it, it's really heart stopping to watch. Um, I can only imagine, no, I can't imagine this is what you're, this is where you come in, Cam. Uh, <laughs> What's the mental calculation there when you're at the top of the run? Well, that one in particular was was a whole another world because I had my closest, my near-death experience. Like It was only a week and a week and a half before, and I was just riding a trail actually with Paul, Paul Basagoya, and uh, and another friend. And it was super windy, and, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to ride, you know, we'll just take it easy. And then there's this little drop. I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter if it's windy. Like, it's like a four or five foot drop. So I drop off it, get wind blowing, and then, and then I veer off trail, and I'm trying to slow down. And then there was a dead tree with a limb um, waist high, point right at me. And then I, like, washed the front, fell right into it, and it hit me in the right in the right crease, like, and clipped my femoral artery. So uh, it didn't break the skin. The right groin area, the crease. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So like, uh, missed the tween and berries, but it was almost it's almost worse. Well, actually, it was definitely worse because I uh, tell something was wrong and I ripped my pants down right away, almost before I was still done rolling. And then Paul and my friend come over the hill and like, what the hell is going on here? And like, I pulled my ripped my pants down and I had like like an A cup sized boob or like in the crease of my pelvis because it clipped the artery inside and it was bleeding and it had a i mean by it not breaking the skin it broke uh it it had a more at a higher pressure outside the artery than inside the artery so i guess it stopped itself but meantime it it leaked that you know probably 12 ounces of blood or more into my into my groin area and a super scary situation and then uh i don't know it i just continue on and then i went to the doctor they said the artery is all right so they got infected and then the week before that, uh, the the week of Rampage, I was in the hospital twice, got it drained once, I was there for a couple hours, I went back, they're like, oh, come back if you want it drained again, and this is like two days before the contest, and then I go in again, and uh, and then the lady wouldn't let me do it, she wanted to operate and cut it open and fillet it, and and I don't know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't let me leave, so I was there in the hospital for eight hours trying to get it drained, and she just wanted to do surgery, and that was two days before that contest, and my wife was nine months pregnant. Right. So this was a this was a whole nother world of of mental struggle. But uh, on top of that would be the normal mental game of of is you know what do I need to do to accomplish this goal? Um, but it was all, I don't know. It was it was a trip. I why did why did you why did you compete? Uh, I just I felt that I could compete. I just felt that it was possible. Then and, and uh, I mean that's the that's the pinnacle of my year. It's the pinnacle of, of some of the best memories of my life have been out there. Some of the, it's just, uh, I just, I had the potential. I wanted to win. I had the potential to do what I was going to do. And, and I knew that they were going to build this giant, the biggest drop ever, you know, and then I, I wanted to flip it and I had, had all these goals and, and, uh, yeah, perseverance is a virtue and it, and it worked out. I mean, I, I, when you, when you have a stage that big, and I just, uh, you know, you got to you got to take opportunity of it. You got you to take you got to take advantage of a giant opportunity when you're on the biggest stage in front of the world. 
with your wife nine months pregnant. <laughs> yeah. So she, it, it, it's in hindsight, you know, is always always the best way, I guess, because it worked out. It worked out. Yeah. Uh, how how supportive is she? She's she's extremely supportive. I mean, every, behind every man is a good woman, and or you know, <laughs> behind every good man is a good woman. But uh, she's I I couldn't do it without her. You know, I, I, the best person to come home to her and my daughter, the greatest, the, you know, the greatest things in my life. How's the, as a, your daughter is now three? She turns three, yeah. um, rampage time. Yeah. She was born right after rampage right. that, you know, that year. And, um, she turns, I man, I cannot imagine your wife was nine months pregnant when you were doing that. Yeah. Like, were you thinking, man, we might need to rush to the hospital if something happens here? Oh, for sure. They yeah. we we were talking about a sat phone, and then found out that AT and T put new towers out there, and right. so then we're like, all right, we don't need the sat phone. But then we're in touch with uh, Freeride Entertainment, who runs the media for Rampage, and they were going to heli us to Vegas if need be, and that was all there, like that was ready to happen if need yeah. be. Yeah. And uh, luckily, we we did the contest, went home, and then and then she was still, you know, was, was she? But honestly, was she cool with you doing the contest that year, especially given the fact that you had. Uh, what the most basically the most colorful description I've ever heard, uh, an A cup size boob, um, in your crease. Uh, have you? Was there? Was there a lot of discussion around that? Like maybe we shouldn't do this this year. It's tough. To, it's like it's hard to actually gauge what she really felt inside because I know that she would, you know, been much happier just staying at home. Right. You know, but uh, the the life that we have, and the and I am who I am because of things like that. So it's it's hard to gauge like what she would really say if there was no holds barred, and she really wanted to let it out. But she knows that if she were to say something like that, it's hard enough to get, bring yourself to flip off something like that anyway. You know, and and compete, and there's always no no in the back of your mind. So like, if someone else, if if the one you love the most is saying. I don't think you should do this. You know, it's going to, it's going to make it that much harder. So I think she knows that, but, uh, I, I think she would have been far happier staying home for sure. Right. Right. I mean, do you, it's, it's interesting because you're, you're earlier in your life, you're weighing risks, uh, your own personal risk. Right. And now you're weighing risk in the sense of how it affects two very important people in your life. Yeah. You're not thinking about just yourself anymore. Right. Right. Is there, would you consider yourself selfish by the way? I you know uh Kevin Robinson said that he was he was uh doing the interviews for uh and and commentating for my mammoth flip for my world record flip and he brought that up he you know in all honesty is like you know we're, you know you have to be selfish in and being an action sports athlete and it goes back to the the egotistical self-branding thing and kind of you kind of have to because you are uh, you're your manager, your agent. I mean, now now I have an agent, but I never really did before. And you don't have a manager, you don't have a boss. You're you are everything. So if right. if your boss said you have to go to work, you know your wife would be like, oh, I understand. Your boss said you have to go to work, but if I have to go to work, it's like, well, you don't. You could you could make the rules. You can change it. So so that's where you have to just be. I don't know. You have to just be responsible for for your best interests. You know. Um, almost unbiasedly, it's kind of it's kind of weird. Yeah, you have to just mandate what you're gonna do, um, and then if you were to look at it from one angle, yeah, it would be for sure. It'd be selfish. But the other side of it's like, well, that guy's just driven. It you know, it could be it could be. Looked and at and it. I mean, let's face it. Like, how how long a career can you have as a downhill mountain bike rider? Yeah. bike rider, where you're earning enough money to to afford a great lifestyle for you and your family. Yeah, and and I don't think any mountain bike. I mean, I think there's a racer or two that 
will essentially retire. You know, maybe Gwyn or some of these guys will will re- fully retire from it. But I don't have enough money to retire from mountain biking, even if I went for another few years. You know, it's uh, it's just not in the cards. You know, skateboarders, yeah, some like some of those dudes, like a lot of pro skateboarders, will retire from it. Um, mountain biking hopefully will make will pave the way for some kids, but that's why I have to look for uh, other avenues to for some more longevity in the industry and and taking advantage of the career I've built riding the bike into other aspects of maybe selling bikes, you know, and selling YT bikes and census grips and these things. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's, you you don't, you don't have, you're not going to retire from just mountain biking. Right. It's exactly. It's, it's not the NFL. It's not the NBA. Um, skateboarding is an interesting analogy, right? I mean, this is like kind of a sport that was, you know, just punks did it in the eighties, uh, nineties. They started throwing some money behind it. And it's really taken that long, though, right? It's taken yeah. that long for skateboarders to earn like a really comfortable living. Now you got skateboard moms, you know, like yeah. ushering their kids to contests and 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 seeing that as a viable career path for a ten year old, nine year old. You know, do you envision a future like that for downhill mountain biking? I I hope so because, um, as I said, we were in the first slopestyle contest. You know, it didn't even exist when we were kids. Right. So you know product your environment of like Seminuk growing up in Whistler watching us in the first slope style contest and saying right. like like aspiring to be that from an early age you know right. I was already you know half washed up in age terms now of the kids yeah. when when it even it, it came came to fruition and the first you know slope style contest was you know spawned when, uh, by the way when was that and can you explain what slope style is because I think a lot of people don't know okay so slope style mountain biking is essentially slope style it's it's different dimensions and obviously different surface than snowboarding, but essentially snowboard slope style. You know, it's, you start on a couple hundred foot elevation pitch and you go down a series of jumps and drops and, um, different obstacles and do the best tricks you can. And then land, it's all, it's like gymnastics nowadays. It's, it's very precise and smooth. And if you slip a foot off, uh, foot off your pedal, you know, point deductions and uh it's about the smoothest biggest tricks you can do the whole way down the course usually about 10 tricks right okay okay so it's it's getting from top to bottom but it's you choose your own way down right it's it's up to you to determine what kind of tricks you do there's not like ones you have to hit etc well there used to be more options in far as far as the actual course now the slope style contests are pretty much one line like you do a drop and then do a jump into this or you know there's not really variables on where you can go but you the what you do as far as the tricks is completely up to you right right and what did you always want to do um, I mean, what was like, because you, you said you're in some of the first ones. I mean, was it, was it all about trying stuff that hadn't been done before? Yeah. I mean, I always wanted to be a racer and then this new thing came along and I was like, well, where's the biggest thing on the course and let's just jump off of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's kind of just like I said earlier, get in where you fit in. Yeah. And also, uh, I mean, obviously that, that feeling you had when you first jumped, uh, let's say not a curb, but like, uh, you know, a significant jump when, whenever you were eight, nine, ten years old, um, that, that feeling only, only increases, as he said, um, you know, is the, is there a limit? That's what we're trying to find. Right. I mean, I think the, the limit is, is constantly growing and things when we were young, uh, you know, is, is small now, you know, like the right. bi- the biggest thing we did back then, I'd go do it easy now. And, and maybe what maybe, was it back then? What was the biggest thing to do? Uh, I mean, the biggest jump before the mega ramp, the biggest jump ever jumped, you know, was probably like 70 feet or something, you know, and then, 
and the biggest jump ever flipped was like 40, 50 feet, and that was gargantuan. And now with the mega ramp, people are flipping six, well, I think the mega ramp, 65 feet or something, 60 feet on a skateboard, you know, but it, that it just shows the as riders progress, the jumps also progress, and you can make a bigger, safer jump. And, and uh, you know, I flipped 100 feet, but that jump was so well built that it was like, wow, I could probably do 150, you know, like, and I don't know where the limit is after that. And uh, you're, you're talking, by the way, about your Guinness World Record, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The, the longest dirt to dirt uh, backflip was it? Yeah, long, longest, longest backflip period on a bicycle. Actually, for some reason, they only gave me, as far as the actual record goes, mountain bike. And like, well, no BMXer has flipped over that, and and uh, I just I want I would I would write a lot of angry letters to the Guinness Book of World Records because I feel like they still accept letters, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't think they're sure. an email organization. No. You know, you should sit down with like candlelight. Write a very like, very angry pen. letter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like earnestly worded letter yeah. to the Guinness folks. Uh, it is actually the longest backflip ever on a mountain bike. You hit speeds of uh, forty six miles an hour. It was fifty. I think it was fifty on the time I, there was. Because there was a, a radar gun, like an actual gun, and then there was a sign. They, they were like it was like four mile an hour off. So like, and we factored that in because the the actual gun that I couldn't see was the more accurate one. So I just knew when that said forty six, it really meant fifty. Um, but yeah, it was. I hit it once at fifty two or fifty three mile an hour and went one hundred twenty feet, one hundred nineteen ten inches or something. So they gave me the world record for longest straight air dirt to dirt as well. Just you know wasn't even planning on that. Wow. Um, but that was three mile an hour or something, you know? Yeah. So like each mile an hour was, was six or seven feet. And it was, that's, that's was a trip. So that's why the radar gun was like, was a help in, in figuring out the whole process. But then when it was kind of cool, cause when it came down to it, when I went, I was like, I'm not even going to look at the radar. I'm not even going to look at the thing. I'm just going to go by field. Cause that's I've never jump jumps in my whole life, basing it off a gun. It was good to gauge it and figure out the actual speed for the jump to initially. But then when it, came time to flip it it was it was kind of cool just like almost blacking out and just going to um resorting to you know subconscious and whatever that you know all the the preparation i've had since a little kid of of gauging jumps just by feel so that was, that was pretty cool so how much is, how much is it science how much is it instinct when you're when you're evaluating a jump it's all instinct it's 100 instinct you just uh, i mean you trust the ramp builder to build something that will allow you to do something right? yeah yeah and on that one i was instrumental in and every change and you know we need to tweak this or we need to make this a little longer and just constantly looking at it because dirt and it wasn't like a perfectly arced you know cut transition on wood it was just it was wood and it was, you know you're constantly shaving it with a shovel and scraping out little you know millimeters here and there uh, and then jeremy Witek is a friend who actually built the oakley drop that the one at rampage the 78 foot step down the year before uh, 2013 yeah right? yeah mm-hmm. he uh he helped build that and he's been there for some of my biggest feats so um i brought him along to the mammoth jump and and he helped out it's so good that it was at mammoth because you can yeah. call it the mammoth jump and it totally makes sense yeah, yeah it's I'm a little a- bit of good branding right there cam zinc a little I- entrepreneurial <laughs> instinct kicking in um Tell me about the the build up to that that jump. So so you just described uh, the seventy eight foot backflip um, in in Rampage, where we were talking about you know the risk that you took uh, doing that. Um, then I mean, had this had this world record attempt been bubbling in your head for a while? 
so back to kind of what was big when we were, when we were, you know, the beginning of the sport, like this 50, 60 foot or whatever. Um, I remember at Woodward West, there was a jump that was, I think it was 60 feet. And then, uh, Joe Parizzo flipped it. And, uh, and then I went out there and I was like, wow, this is really cool. I think I could do that. And I flipped it and it was, you know, 60 foot or 65, whatever, wherever he landed. And I was like, man, I think that you could go way bigger than this. This is incredible. Like that's just a really well-built jump. And the first opportunity I had to, to do something of this sort, you know, the biggest jump I ever flipped before that was probably like 40 feet, 45 maybe. And then, you, you know, you add 50% onto that. And it, that it started bubbling and, and I was like, I think you could flip 80, hundred foot. And then the mega ramp came out and then you could, you know, obviously showed that if it was built right, you can go, the possibilities are almost endless. So then when I first got on monster, I was like, this is what my biggest goal is. I need someone to help facilitate this dream. And, and I can't build a jump by myself and I need to do it right. And, uh, it just took years, it took years and years to, for it to actually happen. And, I partnered up with Mammoth. They've been a sponsor for a while, and then they they're partnered with Monster and and uh, and then ESPN partnered up with X Games as well, or for for Mammoth and Monster and everything just kind of fell like as soon as everything aligned, it just fell like dominoes, and it was like, oh, this is really happening. And uh, months and months into prep, and then before I knew, I was dropping in. Wow! And and the prep involved what? Uh, building building the jump. There was an airbag there. They had two airbags. They have two for snowboarding. Connected the two of them together, for, which, looking back, was was seemed like a cool idea. But uh, if you hit that crease, yeah. So I hit, so I hit the crease. So I oh for, you did yeah. So first time jumping in, the sweet spot to the middle of the bag was sixty foot, and I jumped it. And I'm like, oh, I'll just jump into this thing. You know, no big deal. Jumped went a little bit deep. Probably went like seventy or eighty feet into the bag threw the bike forward so it would slow me down a little bit and then I landed and then slid on my back into the crease and the airbags are 14 15 feet tall and I and I lawn chaired myself from the top in between the bags onto my bike and broke my and broke my fork on my bike because my I landed on my handlebars on my back so I'm sliding all of a sudden like out of the car like I'll oh, just jump this thing first go and not even warmed up into the airbag sliding on my back and then ending up upside down from fourteen foot drop in between the airbags and landing on my bike. <laughs> and then the top of the top of my helmet had a bunch of scratch marks. So I like I I almost like I DDT'd myself from the top ropes. <laughs> it's like this air it's like our right, airbag is is not is in a fail safe. Yeah. So yeah, then we, this then might we, not be the best way to set up the airbags. Yeah. So then Did we you get angry. No, I got, I was a little bit scared and freaked out. I'm like, all right, so that now, like, maybe we should just ditch these things. But then we overlapped the top sheet of them so that there was kind of a hammock. And then again, I went deep in the rain when well, I was like, oh, get one last jump in in the rain. And then I overshot it, landed in the face of the other air, airbag, and then broke my bike again <laughs> into the airbag. So it wasn't, a, it seemed like it was just an easy way to make the, the whole thing happen, but it was actually probably worse, you know. I feel like your bike sponsor is probably used to getting that phone call from you saying that you broke another bike. Yeah, those are uh, those are fairly few and far between. If it's hard, it's hard to believe, but I it mean, is really. Yeah, they, they are. They are really. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Hard. I mean, test even testing prototypes and things. Like I'm usually pretty pretty mellow on bikes. I mean, the the better you get, the you get a little smoother. You know, even though you're doing big things, you know how to like you know how to manipulate the landing and and pretty pretty good on bikes actually but those those situations were kind of freak accidents you know? right right um and airbags of all things <laughs> yeah 
when you hit the jump, when you got the world record, uh, describe a little bit of that feeling. Uh kind of I I kind of blacked out. I mean, there was it was it was it was months and months of of, you know, it, essentially a couple key days, but back and forth to Mammoth and uh testing this and adding, you know, building the landing and and back and forth. Um but it all all of a sudden like I'm standing at the top of the hill and I was just like, "Oh, a couple months of prep and here we are. Oh, man, this is crazy. It's our the moment's here." And um because I don't, I mean, at a contest, there's so many things preceding it that you don't think about just that one for months. You think about you know the ones before it. And this one, I was like, that's all I was thinking about for a couple of months. And I was at the top of the hill with uh, Gary Taylor from Mammoth and uh, Taylor Sage. Got them to hire him for uh, for filming. One of my best friends, and then whose son I'm going to his birthday party today. Well, and Kyle Strait. Happy birthday, Levi. <laughs> and uh, and Kyle Strait, I got them to hire him as a follow cam some people are like oh who's that guy following you behind but it was he was running the the gimbal yeah. that that was actually quite interesting yeah because yeah. uh, if you see the video of that which is widely available on youtube it's you going down and then it's it, it's like some some dark shadow chasing you almost <laughs> on a bike and i so you wanted him to do what he he was there as the follow cam so then it's funny people even watch that but then they don't even real then they're like oh there's the follow cam but they didn't put two and two together that was him so he was there just as a as a follow cam right and uh and he ran the gimbal and and uh so there was a live a live feed coming from his helmet cam and uh, there's a gopro with a gimbal on it and so i had my two best friends at the top of the hill with me and and then i was and it was just like it's just sage said it's just another jump or just another flip and i dropped in and remembered my speed and honestly kind of blacked out and then when i landed i was like that was it i was yeah, done like I, I i i like i just did it you know and it, it was so perfect and and fluid and effortless that it you know it's kind of it's a dream you know like that it was it was absolutely perfect and people are like you made it look too easy I'm like well that's that was the goal right like right. I like if I if it would have got sketchy it would have got sketchy in a hurry and it probably would have tomahawked and tea kettle at the bottom of the hill uh, but it was it was it was o- it was over like that sorry th- those are two great terms and I just want to make sure I understand what they mean tomahawking means what. Tommy, so yeah, we, we usually say Tommy, but tomahawking is essentially think about throwing a tomahawk. It just goes end over end and over end, and Yikes. you're just tomahawking okay. down a hill. Right. And then tea kettle, what sound does a tea kettle make when, it, when like, it's when it's time for tea? It's screaming, whistling. Yeah. yeah. So Tommy, Tommy, to tea kettle is uh, is so, not t- where you want to be. The tea kettle is what you are. Yeah. The tomahawking is like the motion that precedes the tea kettle. Yeah. That's how. Okay. Yeah. We, so if you're tomahawking, you're usually tea kettling. <laughs> Um, uh, you, you spoke about having, having Cal straight at the top of the jump, uh, another friend of yours, Taylor at the top of the jump. Um, how much does, uh, the community still mean? Like how much, how much of your strength and your, um, your courage to undertake these things? How much is it drawn from, from other riders? Not that much, I guess. I mean, I mean, you always want, you always want to, you know, you get, you get motivation from other riders and your friends. And uh, there is a sense of wanting to belong, I guess, that's deep down in there. Like, oh, he did this. I want to be cool and do this too, you know. But not, not that much. It's more, it's more just looking out for my potential. I mean, I've always, no matter if I'm, if I'm born to get tenth place, you know, that's if, as long as I'm, I'm living up to my potential. But I feel like I have the opportunity to win, and I, and I've shown that, like myself, that I can win and I can and do certain things. So that's my potential, and that's what I keep striving for. Uh, but not necessarily, I mean, you, you get a little motivation from other riders and your friends, but sure. not, yeah, it's, it's more, uh, 
it, it just makes you feel better to be there and yeah. like before the before and after and not feel like you're you're hanging out with a bunch of kooks or you're just you know you're you're not having a good time the, the yeah. it's more about good vibes and good family and good friends and like about that whole feeling before and after riding so that you feel good while you're riding i guess sure and why that basically gives you the the ability to be a bit selfish when you're going down is sure that, yeah you know you've yeah. got the bookend on both sides of like support and community and and you're like the social guy before and after you, you that's a good way to put it yeah we we talked about we talked about like you know pressure from you know the pressure you feel for your brand um we talked about you know other writers maybe as a motivating factor but what it, it's the more we're talking it really seems like it's all coming from within right this this yeah. idea of pushing and and pushing yourself um there's not really many outside factors um are you unique in your family in that sense um is is that is that kind of I'm trying to understand where that came from because you know your description of how you came up is is quite is almost casual you know how, how you've started doing this this and that and and started hitting these jumps and elevating the game and that sort of a thing but but where did that drive come from? I don't know. I mean, I think it's he he, he kind of opened up my mind just now about you know where did it come from? I mean, my, I was looking like my, my brother's my only sibling and I look at him and. When he goes and, and outride, he doesn't ride that often, but when he does, he usually hops on the bike and hurts himself within like 30 seconds because he's just like, go, go, go. Like, So there's something genetic in there a little bit, but I don't think my dad was really like that. I don't think he was like the gnarliest, craziest person. I think my mom was probably a little crazier than my dad. Um, what did she do, by the way? What did your mom do? She did... I mean, she skied and things like that, but right. nothing really outrageous. I mean, she's just a, the life of the party and just a, a good, good, fun, loud person, you know? Uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. I think that the, you hit the nail on the head with it being deep inside, though. Like, it just comes from within. But there's just little motivating factors over the years that you grow up watching X Games and and these, these people you see doing you know pastrana and and mira and these people doing doing things that that light your eyes up and i don't know and you want that feeling too yeah or yeah. you want you want that reaction too yeah yeah which is it is it is it both is it i i want to feel what it's like to rotate myself in the air over a hundred feet or is it i want the accolades that come from something like that i think that it's just supplementary. I mean, the accolades that come with it are just a, an added bonus, but the feeling of actually doing something like that, it's never about the money. I mean, that's just supplementary. I, I mean, if you're going to do it, it's like, oh, that's cool that I get this too. But the reason I did it was far more important. And that feeling is something that you can't put a price tag on. It's just, sure. it's, it's, it's the best feelings in the world. You know, it's, it's like rolling the dice with your life almost, but, uh, you know, also the fact of like rising to this, to the pinnacle of a sport so you're 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 doing something no one else has done before and you're living up to you know all your athleticism you're living up to all your, you know overcoming all your fears and there's so many things it's just like if you've never done something like that you really can't describe it and th those those are just futile descriptions of it it's just a it's you kind of got to do it to understand it and then once you do something like that you you realize that that's what you're meant to do and that's what you need to keep doing as long as you possibly can regardless of how many times you get hurt or how many people are telling you no or 
or you know if if you got a normal job and you just want to get out after work i remember this dude jason bird is trying to break madison's record of jumping 360 feet on a motorcycle robbie madison the 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 daredevil i should yeah. say actually motorbike daredevil nowadays yeah and then jason bird this dude's out in the middle of the desert on like a 10 year old honda trying to do beat the record too and you know no matter he didn't he didn't get paid to do it you know there there's just there no matter who you are or wh- what aspect of life you are it's there's just that same burning fuel inside uh, and and no one really understands it unless you've done it and and it's but it's like it's up and down right it's it's like you know we're talking about uh 2013 you had that awful you know kind of uh, injury right before rampage then you ended up hitting a massive jump in one trick of the contest in 2014 uh, uh 2013 Third, yeah. 2014 uh, we should say by the way you've won that accolade three times at rampage yeah. which is kind of insane but um just given the stakes of of that competition 2014 you set the record right 2015 you have a, a brutal crash, um, which is you know at Rampage where you're, you're sending it on a huge jump, and and uh, it just seems like you lost control or you you, you kind of came off the jump wrong. Um, how you know you have that crash on the GoPro is footage of you saying, "I actually I, I kind of think I'm okay," <laughs> but are you? I mean, are you not only physically but mentally? Are you? <laughs> I mean that's that was God that was a trip. Is I jumped that jump a couple times and the camera. I mean, so the, for anyone that doesn't know this, this uh, it's the Rampage Canyon Gap. I mean, you Google it and then uh, rest in peace, Kelly McGarry. He he was the first to flip it, and uh, every year they built it, it was different. And the year I decided, I was like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna flip that thing. No one slipped it yet. I'm gonna go over. That's gonna make the be the you know cornerstone of my run. And uh, the the year that was the worst ramp. They build them and burn them each year. So that year had a horrible lip on it. It was too steep. It was too kicky and wants to throw you over the bars. And uh, I jumped it a couple times. And then, you know, last run of the day, the sun was kind of in my eye from the corner. And then it was hard to see the transition of the ramp. And, you know, so many different things aligned for the perfect storm of, of shit. And I and I went off the jump a little too fast. And then my rear shock was a little different on and on and got bucked over the handlebars and went 80 something feet to flat and uh screaming for my life because i i was it's slow motion and i'm flying through there like all the knee surgeries i've worked for over the years are gone here goes my pelvis here goes my my femurs everything and then i land and uh put a dent in the freaking the dirt that was as hard as concrete and then I'm laying there, and then yeah, my 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 contour camera flew off, and is it's it's just recording on the ground. And then, like you said, I'm like, I I think I think I'm all right. <laughs> like when people are come up to me, like, so then I my heels were so bruised, but I didn't actually break anything somehow. My heels were so bruised, my ankles were so hurt that like I tried to ride the next day, but when I landed, and my my cranks rotated on my bike because I couldn't I one of my legs couldn't withstand the weight of even just a couple foot drop so I I tried to ride the contest the next day but it didn't happen but again I just gotta put yourself in the best position and do what you can and try to make it happen yeah I mean I just I don't know just the psychological insanity of 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 being involved in a crash like that and you know and if you're watching it on YouTube which you should you should google that um 
is uh, shout out to two people, who, uh, two brands that will never sponsor us, but um, we shout out a lot. I should say is YouTube and Google. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know, if you're uh, you're flying through the air and and if you're watching along, you're I'm I'm with you on that jump, you know. And um, you know the psychological. I mean, you know, you can't. You're sitting at your desk watching it. You watch watching you crash. Uh, I, I need some time to recover from that mentally. You know, uh, you don't. Well, it's. Again, short memory, you try to put it behind you and it, it's there. It wears on you. So that's the thing that they do accumulate over the years. And whether you want to, you know, how, no matter how strong you are, they still are in the back of your mind. And try to just take a positive from it and just remember that it can happen on any jump. So you have to try to mind your P's and Q's. And like, even though I jumped a couple of times and this is going to be easy, I'm just going to jump it. Uh, just you got to focus every single time out and you can't take anything lightly, especially when you're jumping a 70 foot jump over a canyon. Um, I mean that that clip made it so many places. Like Jimmy Kimmel had it on, and he's like, "Well, yeah, he survived the crash, but now his legs are only four four inches long. He's adorable." <laughs> so there was it was. I mean, there it's, was. It's a, easy to see the light in it, right? Yeah. At, at the end. I at mean, the end of the day. Exactly. I mean, since I was all right, it's, it was cool. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> I, I don't know that only you can say it is what it is. I don't think it is what it is, but, uh, you know, um, uh, rebel rampage is, is continuing. Um, obviously, uh, you know, last year was a really tough year, a really long time friend of yours, Paul Bessa Guetta, uh, Guetta, um, suffered a really difficult, uh, really brutal crash, um, had to be airlifted out. Um, how long did his recovery take? He's well. He's still. Reco- I mean, he's right. he's still. He just uh, started pedaling a bike um, the other day. He he actually pedaled up to my house. Surprised me. It was pretty wild. But what it really? What was that moment like? He, uh, yeah. They they set me up for an interview. They're like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna film. We're coming to town. We're just gonna film you loading up like you're going to rampage. You know, just so we have these shots for the TV stuff. I'm like, sure, whatever. And then uh, you know, with you and your family, like, all right, I gotta go to Mama. So like, hurry up. And like, let's let's just get this done. And and, uh, and then I'm sitting there. And then this dude's pedaling up the street. I'm like, who is like, and then they're like, yeah, who is this? And I'm like, I don't know. Like this guy has a nice bike and a helmet. And then until, not until he pulled up in front of me and standing in front of me, I still didn't believe it. And I like probably looked like such a dick that I like, I didn't even, my, my best friend, I'm witnessing him ride a bike for the first time in nine months or almost a year since his crash. And, uh, and I was just like in such shock and awe that I didn't realize it was him and you think I'd be a little more excited, but it, it was a trip. I was just sitting there like, holy crap, is this actually you? Like, like I didn't even, I didn't even believe it. And he, and he, I live, I live on a pretty steep street and he's just pedaling up the hill and no one, I mean, I guess he's ridden exercise bikes, but that was his first time on an actual bike. And he rode from his house to my house. It took him like a half hour and that cars falling. It was a uh, pretty heartwarming. I mean, he's come, he's come a long way and he's still, still walking with, uh, he started walking with canes, but, um, uh, he's uh so hopefully hopefully he'll make the be able to take that next step without uh without the cane soon but right. uh it's really really cool that he can actually ride his bike now though it's i think that that's uh something you should be really proud of right and and i mean for you it's it's an opportunity to kind of i mean I, i'm sure these opportunities to reflect and yeah. i mean we we spent a lot of time talking about this in this hour but you know um how do you see your career going forward now you got you got rampage coming up again this year um what 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 does the future hold yeah that's with paul i mean that's the first time that i mean there's been plenty of people that have paralyzed before but someone that close to me 
um, and seeing how quick it could happen. I mean, he just landed hard off a jump and then veered off track, and then just it looked like a fairly mild crash. Like the announcers and no one else really thought much of it. You know, like people have people have clipped a pedal on some sagebrush and flipped over the bars numerous like hundreds of times out there, and uh, it just it just shows that the right crash the right way can you know with a, with a spine impact there's just so much energy that with nowhere to go and um it's it makes me worried more again back to like used to just be broken bones like oh, i'll just break a bone and be fine and i mean no matter if i'm out for a year at least i'll be fine you know i'll be out but this i mean that's that's life-changing it's life-altering crash that, that could that can just jump out of nowhere at any time so that makes it a little harder uh to assess the assess the risks and the juice versus squeeze equation, but man, it's that that's one of the hardest things I've ever witnessed and and taken a toll on me the most. But um, I I love what I do. I'm not going to change that. I it's it's why I am what I am. It's it's how it's my sense of identity. It's my sense of accomplishment. It's my it's my everything besides my my family. And uh, it's another family. I mean, the bicycle community is is a huge part of my family, and it's my best friends of the world. It's just I, I, uh, like I don't know. Just I, I'm not I'm not going to stop. And that's I love what I do. And sports given you a lot. It it has it has, and I and I would I would feel like I'd be a pretty angry person if I if I gave it up uh, before before my time was up, and and I just. Uh, I I will a big piece of me will die when I when I when I stop doing things like that. You mean competing, or you mean taking those big jump risks? Uh, probably both. I mean, there's right. gonna be a time when competing's kind of just done. But like, as far as uh, rampage and big mountain events, I feel like I'll be able to compete in that for a long time, and I'm gonna keep doing it as long as I'm still relevant and able to to feel that I can win. And when I don't feel like I can win anymore, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it. But the yeah the the pushing my my own limits and pushing the limits of the sports is what I strive to do and what I'm going to continue doing and Rampage is the biggest proving grounds for that and the biggest spectacle and and all these other things but the biggest thing is it's the it's the it's the best playground for it and the best uh, the best environment right you know like right. there's you can't do it's that like, it's like an arena almost it yeah. is and yeah. you and you yeah. can't you can't do certain things that have happened at rampage anywhere else like that that's it's the perfect dirt and drops and elevation and landscape for all these things so it's uh yeah it's it's the I, best I imagine for you the biggest challenge will be uh turning off that that part of your mind that that's always like oh, that's evaluating never, that's never and judging <laughs> and like mm, well if i hit it this way i could do this and you know it's almost like that's constantly going and, and moving a bit uh, yeah yeah that's that's never going to change that's got to be a constant companion for you yeah anyone that's ridden motorcycles and bikes so you're driving down the highway and you see you know the mountains and you're like doubling them in your head and you, you, know, you see this old the jumps all you know as if you're going 80 mile an hour next to the car and you're jumping all these things it's i think it's just a part of people that ride bikes and probably even skateboards and everything as well yeah i imagine too um so you don't imagine you could uh you could do the same thing driving down suburban streets and seeing curbs and seeing like man i could really pop a dope wheelie off that curb <laughs> Um, I mean, kind kind of. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that that's more, yeah, more for skateboarders. But yeah, yeah, there's there's always there's always there's always gaps in your in your mind. Yeah, uh, there you go. Uh, Cam, listen, man, thank you so much uh, for coming out. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for getting us up so early in the morning. Uh, first name James. I should say thank you for driving all the way out from uh, the western edge of Hollywood. <laughs> and Jessica for the lovely treats. Thanks, man. 
Thank you very much for having me. Oh, absolutely, man. All right. Thank you, Cam Zink. Cam Zink. I think that's the last time I'm going to say it like that. I really, really like saying that word there. You've been listening to the Red Bulletin Podcast. You've been listening to us maybe on iTunes or maybe on Acast. Uh, but you can always head over to theredbulletin.com for an archive of the podcast and for some beautiful words and images and stories from around the world and adventure and sports and culture. Thanks a lot and see you next time. <laughs>